Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. I have missed you for the last two weeks. Somebody said, have you been gone? I know that's a good thing, right? And those that have been here teaching, I've done a tremendous job. Matthew the first week, Travis the second. I want to say thank you so much for that. Um, the first Sunday that we were away, Reba and I had the privilege of serving actually in Hope Kids in the nursery. That's real ministry right there. I'm telling you, that really is. Yeah. And boy, loving on your babies is absolutely amazing. So keep making them is all I can say. Okay. And I guess that's okay to say in church, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. And, and then the second Sunday, we actually went to Maryland and performed a wedding for one of the very first college students that attended Hope and uh, Travis Smith. And it was such an amazing time. And then Reba and I got a day or so to actually explore Washington, D.C. and do some things. And so it was a great time. And we're, we are glad to be back. What I love as we venture into the book of Ephesians this morning, so grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, and today we talk about the sword of the Spirit. And what I love about this study, as we come to that last element of the armor, is that this is about real life. It's about real life. And the reality is that life doesn't always go the way we think it should go. Isn't that true? So a little survey to kind of level the ground this morning. In, in your week, how many have had your week sort of things did not go as you had anticipated it to go? Let me see your hand in the room. Anybody? Oh, good. So we are. That, that's exactly right. Yes. So we actually, Reba and I had Emma, our seven-year-old granddaughter this week, which was absolutely amazing because... This week, um, this week, my wife had a birthday. She did. Yes, absolutely. And um, she and happy birthday to her. Yes. I will not tell you how old she is unless she. Well, anyway, we'll just leave it at that and you can guess. Yes. And and so she had another birthday. Such a blessing to all of us. And her gift was that Emma, our seven year old, came home with us and she spent the week with Reba and I, and so we did all kinds of things. Actually, they did. I participated in some of them, and, and so they went roller skating. They went to the water park, and, and they went uh, uh, on the climbing wall. They went rope climbing and all those kinds of things. It's kind of funny, and, and so all of that. And then uh, Friday night, we took Emma back to her parents in Atlanta. That's the wonderful thing about being a grandparent. You can give them back, right? Exactly. And so we thought, well, Saturday was going to be kind of a, a decompress, and, and I could sort of focus on today. And then Grayson, our youngest son, who is serving at a camp in Westminster as a worship leader, called and said that he was going to come home this weekend, and he was going to bring a few of his friends home with him uh, Saturday. Okay, so what he's going to do, because they all had to wash their clothes, and they all, you know, wanted to just decompress and eat. So he shows up at our house Saturday sometime after lunch, him and 13 of his friends. Yes, they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? So we had, we had Reba and I, Coco the dog, right, and Grayson, and 13 of his very, very close friends all afternoon, all into the night till about 10.30 last night. They were all at our house. We fed them a whole bunch of pizza and did other things and kind of scrambled to make it all because life doesn't always go exactly like you think it should go. And what I love about Ephesians chapter 6 is that it really deals with the reality of our life and where we live. So let me read to you this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10, and we'll read down through verse 17. It says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That is about who He is and what He has done. That is where we find our strength. Put on the whole armor of God. We read this passage every week to you because Paul says, Hey, put on the whole armor of God. It's as simple as that. It's not like, well, I'm going to choose this piece for Sunday and tomorrow I'm going to wear something different about the armor. Why? Because each piece is dependent upon the other. It all works together. He says that you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that we live in this world of opposition. And he said, so what is the opposition like? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over their present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God, again a reminder, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And we've said this from the beginning, that this is not about invading, but this is about standing. But what you're going to find today with the sword of the Spirit, there's a little different twist that Paul gives us. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and our topic today, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You say, well, opposition, what do you mean by that? We've talked about that every time we come together, that we live in the middle, that between that of the redemptive work of Christ, the complete redemptive work of Christ upon the cross, and that of his second return, his imminent second return, the second advent. And we live between those two events, that yes, Satan has been defeated. Yes, the work on the cross is complete, but yet he is yet to be rendered harmless within our lives. So there is opposition. And so all of this study started with the belt of truth. Why? Because truth dispels lies. The the scripture tells us that the enemy of our life, Satan, is the father of all lies. What does he lie to us about? He lies to us with with this idea God can't or want. It's, a, it's an attack against the very nature of God that God can't or God won't within our life. But truth gives us the foundation for all the other elements of the armor of God. Because in truth we find confidence. We find confidence in the breastplate of righteousness that it protects our hearts against those arrows of self-reliance. That this is not about me being strong, but this is about me being strong in the Lord is what this is about. About that of the shoes of peace. That peace is resident in my heart long before it manifests itself in that of an external form of my life. We talk about the shield of faith that protects uh, us from the fiery darts, all those things and temptations of the enemy. We talk about that of the helmet of salvation that protects our minds and the way we think and the way we see things. And it brings us now back to the truth again when he says here, I want to give you this sort of spirit, the word of God. So there are four big ideas I want to share with you today that you'll hear these four big ideas throughout the teaching this morning. The first two are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to go there in a moment. But the first is, it. first is this, that we fight the enemy in a physical context with spiritual weapons. That's important because Ephesians chapter 6 is not some ethereal kind of idea about you and I battling some you know, vapors in life, but yet that we fight the enemy in a physical contact with spiritual weapons. The second thing is this, that the sword of the Spirit does two things, Paul tells us. One, it demolishes the strongholds of our life. And secondly, it brings every thought into the obedience to Christ. The next two come from Luke chapter 4, which is the story of Christ's temptation in the wilderness. And it's this, that Jesus accomplished what we were unable to accomplish. And all of these ideas and all these thoughts and everything that we've talked about over these weeks really hinges on that idea that Jesus accomplished what we were unable to accomplish. And then the second is this, the strategy of the enemy for our lives. First is this. It's to question God's provision and care for us. The second is this. It's to have us shift our priorities in life. And the third would be to mask our fears and our doubts. So how do you stand against those kinds of things? Well, here is what Paul has said. He's given us the sword of the Spirit. I love that. It's the only piece of, uh, of the armor of God that is offensive. It is. It's the only piece of weaponry that we have that we use in the offense kind of mode. It is. And say, Mark, oh, if this is going to be about swords, then here's the kind of sword that I want to be. Because what I've always wanted to be is I've always wanted to be like a ninja for Jesus is what I wanted to be, right? Yes. Yes. So I want a samurai sword. This is exactly, I know this is what Paul was talking about for me is that of a samurai sword. But some of you are saying, no, 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 that's too, like, maybe modern. So I want to be more kind of um, uh, a little, uh, what do I say, older kind of thing. So I, I want this, this kind of sword. It looks like a knight in shining armor type of sword, so to speak. So this is the kind of sword that I want to fight the enemy with. But here is what Paul does. Paul chooses this metaphor very carefully. Because, again, what we love about Ephesians chapter 6, it gets down to the real of our lives. It's where we are living. And so I begin to research, what does a Roman soldier's sword look like? And what I realize is this, the primary offensive weapon of a Roman soldier is that of this. It's this, yes. 
Isn't that wild? It is the sword of a Roman soldier is on the average of about 17 to 18 inches long. It's this. You say, Mark, that's that's a steak knife is what that is. You know, what what are you going to do with that? Come on. I want I want this is what I want, you know, or I want this thing here. No, no, no. And so what Paul does carefully and intentionally for those church, the church of Ephesus and for you and I, that he chooses to say, no, it's the sword of a Roman foot soldier about this size. Why? Because it's about up close combat is what this is about. The Roman foot soldier was trained in that. You say, no, no, here's what I want. I want the spear of the spirit. That's what I want, you know? Yeah. And some of you say, no, no, I want like the the rocket propelled grenade of the spirit or the bazooka of the spirit is what I want. Absolutely in my life. And now he says, here, here's about real life. This is it. Because the conflict that you and I face in life is up close and it's personal. Yeah, it is. It's right in our face all the time. It's something that we deal with. It brings pain and hurt and misery to our lives at some time. You know, when you read Ephesians chapter 6, we've, we've said this also from the, the beginning of this. Contextually, it's written about relationships. Ephesians 6 starts with fathers and mothers and that of children obeying their fathers and mothers. It moves on to that of servants and that of, of masters and how you serve your master is serving the Lord. So it's about how we simply function in community together. Why? Because relationships, oh, relationships are the crucible of conflict within our life. And Paul knows that. The Holy Spirit understands us so well. So he moves on Paul to write this verse, or these verses for you and I, and he says, here's the sword of the Spirit. Why? Because the battle that you are in is up close and in your face. That's what he's saying. I thought, wow. I can relate to that. I can relate because the battle is, well, it's what I face at work. You know, it's what I face with the people that I work with on the job. It's what I face when I go home today. Or, or maybe it's what you face with the person that's sitting next to you this morning. It, it is. It's up close and it's very personal. And this metaphor of the Roman soldier, yes, it's about standing in conflict very firmly. And if you turn, if you return our our example, Bob, if we've called him around, there's no armor in the back because it's not about running from the enemy at all or hiding from him. It's about you standing firmly against him. But what I love is he ends this, all of the elements of the armor of God with a sword. Because it's not about you and I just standing up and being a target for the enemy. It's not. It's not about you and I just being a victim for him to simply throw arrows and darts at. It's not that. If that were the case, he would have just stopped with the helmet of salvation. But he moves on to the sword of the spirit. Why? Because it reflects God's character and nature. Understand that and who he is and how he loves you and I. Because it's not only to defend ourselves but yet he's given us a sword to simply take back from the enemy what the enemy has stolen from you and I. That's it. I love that. It's the sword of the Spirit. And because of those words, it reminds you and I, it reminds you and I that this is a spiritual battle fought in the strength and the might of God himself to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So let me bring this to where we live this morning for two talking points together. The first is this. Our physical battles are one with spiritual weapons. Our physical battles are one with spiritual weapons. Take your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, Paul's writing because I think it gives us great context for his writing to the church of Ephesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 1. And here is what Paul says, and I'll give you some little explanation after I read this in a moment. It says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Here's what he says. Here's the Mark kind of commentary to all of this, that, that I'm humble when I'm with you face to face. But boy, when I get a pen and my paper in my hand and I write you a letter, I can be really bold is what he says. Exactly what that means. And it says verse in verse 2, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness. This is about grace. 
Don't confuse this with weakness with Paul, because that's not what this is about. But this is about grace, that I may show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Here's what he does to to help you to understand this. Because the next verse that we're going to read, you say, oh, that makes sense about what we're talking about, the sword of the Spirit. But here's what he's talking about. He's writing this, addressing these itinerant Jewish preachers who are characterizing him as a very weak individual who functions in the flesh is what they're doing. So what we come back to is this. It's a relational conflict. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that every conflict in your life is going to be relational. But what I'm going to say to you is this, that most of them are, many of them are going to be absolutely relational. It is going to happen. And so they're characterizing him as this weak individual. So it's a relational conflict. Is conflict that's wrapped in flesh. Yes. Because relationships are the most fertile ground for conflict in our lives. Yes. You're going to be far more concerned about the people around you, the people you work with, the people you know, your neighbors. You're going to be far more concerned about those things throughout your life than you are about you somehow contracting some disease and dying from that disease. You're going to be far more concerned about all the relationships in your life. Because these guys, these itinerant Jewish preachers, they're telling the people at Corinth, hey, Paul is this weak guy. Man, he's really, you know, he's really bold when he has a pen in his hand, but you get him away from you, and then he's going to write you this letter about all these things. He's really tough about him facing you face to face. And they say things like, oh, he's a terrible preacher. He's a less desirable spe- uh, public speaker. You know, we have some more signs and wonders in our ministry than Paul is having right now. It's a very physical issue. But behind that physical issue is the powers of darkness. But they can only be confronted successfully with spiritual weapons. So what Paul does is he's kind of taken all the smoke and the mirrors and all the ethereal things, all all those things that sometimes we think about when we talk about spiritual battles. He's taken all those out of the picture, and he's bringing this down to where you and I live, to right in front of our face. That's why he gives us this sword as an example, because it's real. It's something that we deal with. And maybe the spiritual battle in your life is someone around you this morning. I don't know. You know, this is not a time for you to turn to them and say, hey, he's talking about you. You're the problem in my life. You know, that's not this moment. Okay. That's not it. So, so, but maybe it is, maybe it's that close to you this morning. But what we realize is this is a physical issue with powered by the darknesses of darkness of evil behind it. And they're only confronted successfully with spiritual weapons in our life. The sword of spirit. So here's what he says. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we live in the context of the flesh. We do. That's where we walk. Yeah. That we're not waging war according to the flesh is, is what he said. Because this requires spiritual weapons because this is a spiritual battle. And then he says, here are the weapons. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power too. And these are some of our, our ideas, our big ideas to this tearing down or destroying strongholds in our life. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So here's what we do. We're so quick to draw the physical sword. We are. When we face conflict, because we see it as just a fleshly conflict, We fail to see the powers of darkness behind the flesh that comes against us. And so what we do is we're quick to to simply pull a Peter in the garden, you know, kind of deal. Yeah, you come after me and you come after my Lord, then you're going to lose an ear over this deal is what we do, yeah? And so we're quick to pull the physical sword in our life. And and it's what we do. Oh, I'm Paul. You don't understand who I am. And, And so Paul could have gotten angry about all these kinds of things, but he realizes the power of darkness behind those that are coming against him. He said, but Mark, this is an injustice. So you have this right in your life to have what we call righteous indignation. Yeah. Do you know where righteous indignation comes from? Oh, I want to tell you. You're, you, know, it's, you always ask all the right questions. Thank you. So I'm going to tell you where it comes from, okay? It comes from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Right there on the cusp of what we're talking about. It's in context of the unity of the church. It's about relationships, about how you and I treat one another. The Bible assures us that there are times in our lives that we're going to be angry about injustice. 
That is absolutely right. But the caveat here is do not sin in your anger. The struggle is to not draw the physical sword in our lives, even though the conflict is wrapped in flesh. That's the struggle. That's it. Yes. Oh, can I? Well, I'm, I just want to be transparent with you this morning. That's always been up until a number of years ago, and this is still messy and inconsistent in my life. So don't, don't think, wow, he's got this down. No, that's not it at all. But it's always been one of my issues and struggles in life, and, and that is that to not to draw the physical sword when the opposition is wrapped in flesh. It always was tough for me. It was a very difficult lesson for me to learn to stand in the whole armor of God to battle with the sword of the Spirit. So, what, so Mark, what do I do with this person that's coming against me? What do I do with those that oppose me in life? What do I do? Do I take the Bible and do I beat them down with the Bible itself? No. Yeah. <laughs> Physically, no. Spiritually, yes. But spiritually, no. No, absolutely not. Yes. I, I, when I pastored before... I, I in, in a church previous, well, geez, you, this is going to be on, uh, the, you know, whatever. But anyway, it is what it is, right? Yeah. That, that there was this guy that would preach there before me, and, and uh, he came to me sometime after I'd got there and said, you know, Pastor, I've been preaching in the past with the previous pastor. I'd like to preach some, but I have to warn you that when I get excited, what I do is I walk down the aisles and I hit people in the head with the Bible, Okay. And I thought, well, maybe that works. I don't know, you know? No, no. But, you know, that's pulling a physical sword, yeah, at, at, at a conflict that's wrapped in the flesh, backed by darkness. It is exactly what that is. So what I have, what I struggle to learn, that there's sometimes in life that I have to just simply be silent when something inside of me wants to lash out so badly. That peace resides in my heart long before it manifests itself in some external form of my life in those situations. That the sword that God has given me to wield gives life. It doesn't take life. That I lay down the sword of anger. Oh, and I've had that, yes, in the past. That I lay down the sword of anger in my life for that of the sword of the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. I, I lay down the sword of, sword of hatred in my life for that of love and grace to show others. And that's not always easy. And it's sometimes very messy and inconsistent in, in all of our lives. So please take it at that. I lay down the sword of judgment for that of the sword of grace that I wield in, in other people's life. And I think the mistake that I have made many times, and I think the mistake that many of us make in this room, is that we hate the flesh that opposes us, and we fail to hate the sin and darkness that motivates the flesh that opposes us. I wrote this down this morning as I was looking at the last minute office. That's how you love your enemies. That's how you love your enemies. That God didn't give me the right to hate or dislike anyone. God never gave me that right to not love others and to choose who I love. And don't, how, So how do I do that when they're opposing me? How do I do that when they're misusing me? How do I do that when they're all kinds of injustice toward me? How do I do that? Because I simply see the sin and darkness that motivates their flesh. And also I have to see the sin and darkness that motivates my flesh at times. So here's what he says. He said, here's a couple of things the sword of the Spirit does in our life. First is this. The sword of the Spirit destroys strongholds in our lives. Oh, and, and that intrigued me a lot when I began to read that. Because I wanted to define stronghold and what that means. And, and I think immediately our mind goes to a wall that we build around something that we want to protect. Or something that is very precious to us in, in, in our own hearts. And so... Simply, the stronghold is a wall that we build around our lives. But when Paul is talking about strongholds here, he's not talking about the wall that we build around our lives, around the pain and the unforgiveness and the sin, the hatred of our life. But it's even something deeper that Paul is talking about to you and I. Because in context, 
when you look at ancient cities, what we realize is that they were walled cities, and they were walled to keep the enemies out, to protect those that were inside and protect what was inside the city. The wall of the city was the first defense. It was the first defense. But the stronghold in a city was never the wall. It was never the wall. The stronghold in an ancient city was the tower that was built inside the wall. The stronghold is the last line of defense, not the first line. It is the most fortified. It is the most secured part of the, of the city itself. It's the most defended part of the city because when the walls are breached by the outside forces in that, uh, coming against that city, where do the defenders go to retreat? Where do they go to retreat? It's the stronghold. It's the deepest. It's in the most embedded point in the city. In fact, the word simply means the fortified place. What the stronghold is in your life and my life? Oh, it's those arguments and lofty opinions against the knowledge of God that Paul talks about is exactly what it is. It's that part of me that's bent on repelling the word of God, the knowledge of God within my life. It's the part of me that's embedded so deep within my life. Understand this. The walls of your life can be penetrated by emotional manipulation sometimes. It really can. And I use that word manipulation in a very loose sense. You can hear a song that, oh, simply you you feel something moving inside of you. The pastor can tell you a story about puppies and all those kinds of things, right? And you're moved by those kinds of things. It's an emotional manipulation in some way in your your life. And you can simply, it's the veneer of our lives that can simply be penetrated by those things. But a stronghold in our life is the part of our life that resists the word of God. Uh, So I said, what are those things? What are those things in our lives? What are the strongholds in our life, the part of our life that resists the word of God? And I begin to make a list. I started with hatred because hatred is something that's deep within inside all of us. And we justify that at some point in our lives. I went to prejudice. And prejudice is something that's simply a stronghold deep within our lives based upon color of skin or ethnicity or citizenship or sexual orientation or religion. Yes, it's something that is deep within our lives. Unforgiveness, shame, guilt, those things hide in the fortified places of our lives. Only the sword of the Spirit, only the Word of God can breach the stronghold and not just breach the stronghold, but Paul says the Word of God, the Spirit of God can simply destroy the strongholds of our life. It's a conflict wrapped in skin. Yes, absolutely. But it's a conflict that only, that only that of spiritual weapons can destroy. And then he goes on to say the Spirit of God captivates our mind. It brings into obedience to, brings into obedience to Christ. Verse 5 says it takes every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul addresses the mind because here's the thought. The mind matters. Realize that the mind does matter because before you ever click with your index finger, you know, on your computer to some website that you're going to, that you should be far, far away from that, that click takes place in your mind first. It does. Before you ever lash out at someone with words because you think that they deserve it, before that idea, that, that idea that's formed in your mind that somehow that you are entitled to do this and the things that you're going to say takes place in your mind because the mind matters. Understand that. Yes, Christ must reign supreme in this room, in our homes, where we work, in our relationships, but Christ must remain or he must, he must simply reign foremost, foremost in our own minds this morning. That's what he's talking about. It's this, I always called it the battle between our ears. You know, it's the battle in our mind, right? Yes. That probably a large percentage of the battles that we face in our life are simply faced and fought between our ears. And I I thought about this. Why not beat the devil here in our mind before we have to confront him in our very hands and our actions? Why not beat him here? And Paul says to us, this is a real-time physical battle. Behind the physicality of this is the powers of darkness. 
And most of what we conflict over, there are things that are tangible and we can touch them. There are things that surround us every day and, and we can reach out and touch them. You say, man, you don't, ha- you don't know how I want to reach out and touch that conflict of my life. You don't understand that. Yeah, I would like to contact them for about 10 minutes straight is what I would like to do, you know, and that would straighten out everything. That's not it. The battle is as tangible as somebody that, who is sitting next to you this morning. And maybe you're thinking, well, they are the conflict of my life. And maybe they are. And I think what you have to do is just you have to realize the darkness behind their actions and behavior and also you have to realize the darkness behind your actions and your behaviors because before you ever experience peace in your life or before you ever experience freedom in your life, you have to understand your own depravity. The sword of the Spirit is powerful to pulling down strongholds, tearing down, destroying strongholds of our life. It's powerful to bringing every thought of our mind into captivity this morning. I believe when you begin to talk about, and i got to move on because i got to hurry here, but when you, when you begin to talk, I say that all the time, don't I? Yes, yes, I know. I don't know, does, does Travis ever say that? I don't know, or Matthew, or Nathan, you guys better start that. It makes me feel better, okay? All right. Ah. This is what happens when you don't preach for two weeks. This is what it is, guys. This is you're going to get, you know, this is what you get. But, but what I realize is that when we begin to talk about strongholds, man, the enemy begins to rise up against those kinds of things because those are the things that he thinks he has secure in your life. He feels he has those things secure in your life. And when you begin to remind him that there is some power greater than him, that there is a power that in the sword of the spirit, the word of God in your life that's greater than him, man, he begins to become nervous about those things when you begin to actually get that idea today. So whatever that stronghold is in your life, whatever it is, hatred, prejudice, unforgiveness, whatever that sin that you're hiding, that thing that you protect, that sometimes you let, you let God pass the wall of your life, you let him in past that point of your life, but boy, you always retreat to that one place of your life. Can I tell you, the only thing that's going to set you free today is the word of God. The word of God. It's powerful. But this all brings us back to Jesus. And I have to say this to you. It all brings us back to him. That Jesus accomplishes what we could never accomplish within ourselves. It's Luke 4, 1 through 2. I'm going to run through these real quick because I have four things i got to share with you before you leave. Okay, so you can't go lock the doors, hold everybody down, all right? And, and, and don't leave me yet. But, but I, ha- I have to tell you this thing. And, and I went through with a marker and I tried to mark out everything that I shouldn't be said. And I thought, well, everything needs to be said, so just lock the doors and keep them for a while. And so Jesus accomplished what we could never accomplish with ourselves. It's Luke 4, 1 through 2. It's, it's that of the story of the, uh, the temptation in the wilderness with Christ. And this is what he says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Listen, obedience is not always the easy path. Realize that, okay? It's not always the easy path. Understand that. Well, you know, people say, well, if, God, if it's God's will, then it's going to be easy. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but you need to get another one. Okay, understand that, right? You need to find another translation. And, and so, because look at verse 2. For 40 days being tempted by the devil... And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I've never known really being hungry to be easy. Understand that, right? I don't think he was just hungry. He's hangry, okay? Understand that. Because there are times when God leads us into hunger for greater growth in our lives. And what I realize is this, that Jesus in the wilderness is going to accomplish that of obedience, something that man was unable to accomplish until this point. And the beauty of this story is this, that it is conflict. It is spiritual battle truly wrapped in flesh. Because Luke makes this point, and this verse we just read, that he says when it was ended, he is hungry. He's hungry. And the first test that Satan brings to him involves bread. And you think, okay, I'm hungry. Here's bread. Game over. I'm done. Because when I'm hungry, I get a headache. And when I get a headache, nobody's going to be happy, okay? So it's game over. So it brings this very personal to you and I. But when Jesus is in the wilderness, he begins to quote from the book of Deuteronomy. It connects us, theologians tell us, back to that of the exodus of the children of Israel. And what happens when they get out into the desert? They begin to doubt 
without God's goodness and his provision for their lives, they fail in the area of that of obedience. And what happens is this, that simply by obedience, Christ reverses all these failures of man so that you and I, in these moments of our life, in these moments of testing of our lives, that I don't always have to get it right. Why? Because Jesus has already got it right for me. That is a wonderful thing. That I don't have to be perfect in these situations because he was perfect in this situation for me. That I don't have to do this with my own strength. Why? Because he did it in his strength. That's a beautiful thing about this text. It is. That he accomplishes what I could not accomplish. And so what we see here is we see three tactics of the enemy. The first is this, that the enemy wants you to question God's care and provision. Look at verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you're hungry and all of a sudden you have the opportunity to make this smorgasbord of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all of a sudden, right? Then, Then, yeah, this is going to be a tough thing. And Jesus answered him because here is the deal. It is a spiritual battle wrapped in flesh because he's hungry. So he comes at it not with that of a spiritual weapon or physical weapon, but a spiritual weapon. He says it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. The devil always comes at us about the goodness of God. He all, it's always an accusation. He's, an, he's the accuser. He, it's always an accusation against the goodness and the provision of God in our life. If God is able or does God care for you, it's an appeal to Jesus to take things into his own hands and say, listen, if God is not going to provide for me, then I'm going to make the provision myself. How many times do you and I fall for that trick? Yes, right? Yes. Okay, all right. Let's just, let's just like make this a real honest moment for a moment okay remember this is church so if you lie you get struck by lightning so here's the thing okay no i'm just teasing uh, but ananias and sapphira but that's another sermon we've already been there but here's the thing how many of you have ever said maybe in an action not words well if god is not going to take care of this i'm just going to make this happen myself let me see your hand let me see your hand okay good terrific good put your hand down everybody else is lying okay now here's the deal because this is so true about us isn't it yes that that's the temptation, that he paints the Father as an uncaring and, and somehow this mean-spirited deity. Yes. How do you deal with that? You don't deal with that with physical weapons. You deal that with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Because why? Because it takes the confidence in you being the provider away, and it places the confidence of who provides back upon the Lord, and that's where it belongs. Yeah. The second tactic is this. The enemy is always attempting to alter our priorities. Look at verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It's an exchange of power is what this is. You know? Because listen, understand this. None of us are powerless in this room. Realize that. None of you are really powerless. Do you know that you sitting there right now, you possess the ability through your words to turn to the person next to you and say something so harmful and so hurtful, especially if you know something about them, that you can say something so so uh, painful to them that you could harm them if not destroy them. And what this is, this is an exchange of power. This is, a, this is a definitely a spiritual battle wrapped in flesh that we have that ability. And he's saying to Jesus, hey, exchange your power now for the power that I'm going to give you. And so what he's saying, that you exchange it for this destructive power that he has. It's a choice that we make in priorities. And the last thing is this, the enemy wants you to mask your doubt and unbelief. I have to say the last one. I couldn't leave the narrative without doing this. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, you see, what Satan does, he plans this private test of God's faithfulness for Jesus. And if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and he quotes from the book of Psalms, that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hand he will bear you up, lest you shake, you, you strike your foot against a stone, Yes, he's hungry. 
It's a test of God's faithfulness. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He's saying this, hey, test God. Go ahead. Test him. Kind of put this thing out to God. God, if you are faithful, I'm not sure you're faithful, but if you're faithful, here's what I want you to do. I want you to perform a miracle to prove your faithfulness to me. It's a snapshot of doubt. And I begin to think about this. He takes him to the temple. He, he, he takes him up what we think to be maybe the pinnacle of the temple or that of the porch of the temple. It's this private moment. Because why? If this is about doubt, you and I love to hide that, don't we? Yes, we do. We love to keep that secret within our lives. We love to try to hide that from God. We love to try to hide that from those around us in our faith community and, and, and that of, of the body that can help one another in those areas. We hide it for pride or guilt or shame or whatever thing. And it's a lack of understanding of the very nature and the character of God. Doubt is real. Doubt is real. Understand that. It is a tangible thing that we fight simply fueled by darkness within our lives, and we confront that with the confidence of the word. And what happens is this, the devil departs, the scripture says. Oh, but you have to take it in context. You have to read all of it until the next opportunity for conflict. He does. I have, to, I have a few minutes, so I've got to hit you with Hebrews before we leave. So grab your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. And, and I want to give you four practical aspects of the word of God within your life. And, and this, this text from Hebrews is so powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. It says, let us therefore strive. That this is not just about inactivity within our lives. This is about spiritual movement. And we say that all the time. This is about being very practical in your life concerning the word of God. He says, but let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And I, I read this verse because of verses 12 and 13 is really what I started to read. And if maybe you've heard 12 and 13, and we'll read them in a moment. But I always like to read for context. So I begin to read the verses before that and and my mind got stuck in this thing of to enter that rest. He talks about rest. My mind goes back to creation. That on the seventh day, God rests. Not because God's tired of, you know, creating things. It's not, we get this picture of God like, whew, I am worn out. You know, kind of deal, right? Yes, yes. I got to take a breather, catch my breath. That's, that's not it at all. When God takes this rest, Adam is 24 hours old. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yeah, He's 24 hours old, and he's already teaching him about the concept of rest within his life. It doesn't have a great deal to do with that just of physical fatigue, but I think it's a place in our life where the weight of life is lifted from us. That where God provides those moments to catch our breath in life. And I thought, oh, that goes so well with what he says now in verse 12. Because he goes directly to these words, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I said, Lord, personally, what has changed in my life concerning your word? And so these are the things that I wrote in my journal over the last few weeks. I wrote that we love the word of God because it's about priority. Because what we love leads us to action. We follow the things that we love, don't we? Yes. That this, the word of God, they, this is his words to you, his children. It's his love letter. It reveals his heart. It's his character. It's his nature. 
Listen, and I say this with all the intention I can, you can't love him without loving his word. You can't. You know why? Because if you don't love his word, then you don't know him. This is the revealing of who he is. So we love the word. And then I said, the love of the word has to to translate into we read the word. We don't read it like a novel. We don't read it like a book. We don't read it like any other book or any blog. We read it so that the beauty of Christ is revealed to us through the gospel. It's how we become acquainted with his nature and character as our father. It's the truth that emboldens you and I in confidence. We don't read it like we're dating God. Understand that, okay? We don't do that. No. Because I think a lot of times we find ourselves in those places like we're going to have a date with God, so we're going to get the Bible and we're just kind of go through it just for the sake of doing it. No, we read it for depth. We read it for richness. It's intimate. It's absolutely, because I want to tell you something, the word of God will become absolutely intimate with you. That's why he says simply in the book of Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces our very soul. It gets real with us. It goes to the strongholds of our lives. We hide it in our heart to protect us from sin. And when we fail in those areas, and we will as humans, it floods our life with grace. That we transition from simply reading the word to opening our hearts for the word to read us. That we spiritually lay it over our lives and the word of God casts a shadow over us. And then we see how the edges mesh up with our own lives and inspires us to change and grow. We speak the word of God. Listen, it's not a silver bullet. It's not the magic genie in the lamp. Now, then it's not like that everything that I speak magically happens. That's not what this is about. But what I believe happens when we speak the word of God, that it energizes the air and the atmosphere around us with hope and with peace, even though the circumstances don't change in our lives. I learned a long time ago that no two opposing thoughts can occupy my mind at the same time. And in those moments when I'm fearful, I begin to speak the word of God. In those moments when I get this wave of worry that comes over me, you say, Mark, you have those moments? Yeah, I do. I begin to speak the word of God. When, when I have those moments of, of struggling within my life or doubt or uncertainty or unbelief, I begin to speak the word of God. And it changes the atmosphere around. Because I myself am, I'm a conflict wrapped in flesh. Boy, am I a conflict. But I realize it's the only, the power of the sword of the spirit, the word of God, that brings victory in that conflict of our life. And the fourth thing is that we stand firm in the word of God. Because this series has always been, it started with truth. Bob wears the belt of truth. It's the truth of the gospel that we confront the lies with the truth. And when you confront lies with the truth, it simply dispels the lies of our life. So as we get ready to pray this morning, some of you have strongholds in your life. You have those fortified things that you hang on to. And for some of you, you've hung on to them for years. You can come here and you can be moved to tears, to laughter. You can feel things. You sense the Spirit of God. You hear the Word of God week after week. You allow Him to breach the walls 
of your city. But yet you still have the stronghold of darkness. Mark, can you come to church week after week and still have a stronghold? Absolutely you can. Why? Because I think that most of you have taken up the physical sword. I'm a ninja for Jesus, you know, kind of deal, right? And you've taken up the physical sword and you find yourself back in the stronghold week after week, day after day, you go back to the same place. And the Lord says, hey, you're picking up the wrong one. This is the one. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the power of God that obliterates those things in our life. So for some of you today is the day to lay down the physical sword for you to pick up the spiritual sword of your life and for you to take back what the enemy has unrightfully taken from you. And the power of the Lord. So would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we are in a conflict and a battle that for some that battle is an external battle in some form or the other for many in this room I believe that battle is that of an internal battle it's a stronghold of their lives it's something that they hang on to they refuse to let go Lord, whether that's sin in our life, that's pain, that's unforgiveness. Oh. Father, whether it's hatred and we have convinced ourselves that we are entitled to hate because of what has taken place in our life. It's a pain due to an injustice that has been inflicted upon us harbor that Father we will let you in over the walls at times of our lives but we will never let you into the fortified place today Lord we lay down the physical sword we realize God that this is not about us and our power but this is about trusting you as Jesus taught us in the wilderness And so we lay down the physical sword together. And we take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which sets us free. Thank you, Father, for the things that you will do in this place this morning. Only through you. Would you stand this morning? I think today is a day of decision for some. Who do you trust? Who will you surrender to? Will you continue wielding your own sword? Or will you love the word of God? Will you read the word of God? Will you simply speak the word of God? stand firm in the Lord and come against the strongholds of your life. He was victorious so that we can be victorious. I believe that. So take this opportunity.